Hello and welcome everyone to a new episode of Pop Cult X. My name is Gabriel. Your name is? Uh, oh, me? Oh, yeah. Hi. I'm Daniel. <laughs> <laughs> Daniel, Danny, hey, you, the other guy, whatever. You know, I go by it all. Go by many names. Lucifer, yes. Satan. Oh, wait. Was I supposed to say that? <laughs> Not out loud. <laughs> Darn it. We were saving that for episode 6606. <laughs> Cat's out of the bag. <laughs> Just a few episodes early, but it's okay. <laughs> so we got some exciting stuff to talk about uh, this episode. We're uh, going to go ahead and just jump right into it because uh, it's a lot of exciting stuff. Um, so let's go ahead and get started. The first yeah. thing I think that everyone's really talking about today is the release of, um, I think, the final trailer for Marvel's The Eternals. Mm -hmm. What are your Absolutely. thoughts? Absolutely. What do wow. you think? Okay, so last episode, I talked about how Marvel might be oversaturating the marketplace with all of their content, all of the Disney Plus shows, whatnot, yep. but who cares about that anymore? My goodness, <laughs> the Eternal trailer would just, wow, the um the whole cast seeing them in their in their um in their element i guess in their costumes and seeing them some of the fight scenes some of who they're going to be up against it's just it was just amazing i yeah. was blown away by it i wasn't expecting that because from what we've seen you know in other media tones from chloe zhao's directorial style but when they released that trailer wow it's it's yeah. going to be great when it comes out what were your thoughts just any doubt that I had in Chloe Zhao as a director, just, you know, of directing something within a, you know, Marvel Cinematic Universe mm -hmm. went out the window because, uh, you know, I was <laughs> slightly concerned because I'm like, okay, is this going to be like a serious, you know, movie? They're not going to be a lot of spectacle. The first glimpse of the Celestials looked amazing. The mm -hmm. special effects, the visuals, I mean, it's mm -hmm. definitely straight out of the comic books. All of the cast look amazing. Um, I think each of them just shined in their own way. Um, of mm -hmm. course, we had Salma Hayek as sort of the narrator, you know, starting the new trailer out with explaining how, you know, basically the, the plot to the movie, um, the yeah, yeah. Of the, the half of the world and then brought them back. And that's bringing back this new threat, you know, that, that we're uh, hearing about. I'm a huge fan of Salma Hayek, of course. So seeing her in another movie and like <laughs> as one of the, I think like maybe even the first Mexican superhero, Latina superhero, we have uh, Gamora, but she's not playing, like the Gamora character itself is not Latina, even though she's playing played by an Afro-Latina. It's a little bit different. Here we have, well, I mean, I guess it's not because Salma Hayek's playing. <laughs> <laughs> she's not from Earth. <laughs> Well, there went my excitement, but <laughs> no, you know what I'm saying. Here we, we finally have like a Mexican actress playing a superhero in, right. and not covered in green makeup. Uh, okay, and then, there you go. Yeah, my other, you know, actress that I stand is Angelina Jolie, mm -hmm. who um, looks amazing. You know, any Is she shot... the leader of the Eternals? So Salma Hayek is, I guess, if you could call it the leader, is like the head Eternal. Mm -hmm. Her character in the comic books is actually a man, and they right. switch gender for her to play it. Um, Angelina Jolie's character is more of like a warrior, um, uh, weapons okay. expert, mm -hmm. uh, and so she, Angelina Jolie, is definitely obviously going to play a huge role because she's you know Hollywood A list, and um, and I hope that you know everyone gets their own moment in the movie. But uh, they looked amazing. Their their costumes look great. They look comic book relevant but not cheesy they looked uh everyone looked amazing i i mean i'm so excited to see it now like it it had a little bit of humor it had the drama it had the cool deviant villains that mm -hmm. look really amazing um i can't wait i, I literally <laughs> cannot wait to watch it i'm so glad that they gave a little explanation as to why they didn't help out in any of the other wars and like the war with Thanos and whatnot. So it gave yeah. a little bit, you know, kind of answered some of those questions like, well, why didn't they do anything? So yeah. it's, I'm glad that they, they put that to rest already. So we don't have to wait for the movie to come out to get that yeah. answered. So well, and, and isn't that like always the question when it comes to superhero movies, it's like, they have to be like super focused on 
one threat at a time because it's like mm-hmm. well why is there hunger when superman could just deliver food everywhere <laughs> or you know why is there uh any issues with with violence when you know green lantern could just come and say like so i mean there it's is green a lantern a, right i he's actually one of like my, my least favorite characters uh, i don't know why pat paused for such dramatic effects but he's one of my least favorite characters <laughs> he's one of my uh but uh so yeah so anyway you know that's that's always like a question that you kind of have to suspend your you know your disbelief in Mm -hmm, that universe mm -hmm. is that it's the threat in spider-man's little world in his neighborhood you know he's he's you know protecting his neighborhood or metropolis or gotham because obviously then it's like it would be almost too realistic like it would almost like mm-hmm. do we want to see a movie where superman's ending hunger uh we want to see you know him fighting Lex or or uh, i want to see him with jimmy carter building houses <laughs> why habitat humanity exactly jimmy carter's like oh i'm almost done with one house and superman's oh cool i built 500 <laughs> and or wonder woman's next- like oh really i built 600 <laughs> And Batman or Bruce Wayne's like, I bought a thousand. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> but it looks so, yeah, great. It, yeah. it does look great. I think the, you know, the uh, Twitter verse, Instagram, the nerd community, everyone's excited. Um, I, I really haven't seen anything negative about it. Everyone's just super stoked. Um, one of the things that I really love about it, and I've talked, you know, pretty ad nauseum about it is the diversity in the cast that you know Mm -hmm. you have a gay character you have Mm -hmm. african-american mexican uh you know you have a hearing impaired person you have like and it it's so like it's so easy for them to be able to include so many different people and get so many people excited and i I did see some someone's tweet today that that i follow and it's like a fellow like gay person of color uh comic book nerd and he's like I finally get to see me in a movie and oh, wow. he's referring to the uh, black actor that's portraying, uh, um, I think a, a gay character. And I thought like, how cool is that? Like that he mm-hmm. can say that like, and he's excited to see someone that looks like him that, you know, has some of the same characteristics as he does. And I, I just, that, that excites me. I I'm just so excited that, you know, Mexican kids can go see it and Salma Hayek will be in it. <laughs> and, uh, you know, all, all 50 of Angelina, jo- Angelina Jolie's kids will see it and be excited to see their mom. So <laughs> a lot of excited people, right? Right, right. I, I agree. I agree. Yeah. And it is very diverse, the cast, and I think that's going to help it a lot. Another thing, not to get off tangent with the Eternals, but there was a movie that came out on called Coda, Children of Deaf Adults. Hmm. And it's it looks fantastic. It's on my list of something to watch. So yeah. it's the premise of it is there's the two adults are deaf, their one child is hearing, and she is a she finds out that she's a talented singer. Mm. So she gets goes through like this training program um, to get, apply to like a prestigious music school, but she now she's torn between leaving her family behind who need her because the government's cracking down on like their shrimping boat where they have to have a hearing person on board in order to operate it or to follow her dreams. So it looks really interesting. I can't wait to watch that one. Yeah, it sounds really great. I've been fortunate enough to, to actually make a lot meet or a lot of people and make a lot of friends that are, <laughs> uh, you know, no sign language. And, you know, that's their mode of communication. And mm-hmm. uh, at first, it was interesting, because I, you know, obviously, I, I don't know sign language or not, obviously, but I don't no sign language and so we would talk using you know text or you know um, notes on iphones mm-hmm. and then it, it quickly became like our norm and and it was just like yeah that's how we talk and um it was just really interesting to see their community in san diego to have like a bunch of guys that you know sign and and they're very close and uh it's it's a interesting um subject matter that i think that we don't really get to see a lot about um, because we, you know, we are, are privileged that we live in, you know, we're hearing and we live yeah. in, you know, 
in our, our own world. And um, it's kind of cool to see that there, you know, would be a show. Um, I just saw an interview with Marley Matlin, who's, um, I think, the first and maybe only person to win an Academy Award in like a leading role um, that is hearing impaired. And um, she's such a great actress and I think such a kind person. Um, mm -hmm. But what the interesting thing that that I heard about her is that when she won the Academy Award, she was going through a really tough time with with alcoholism. Oh, wow. And believe it or not, Henry Winkler and his wife invited mm -hmm. her over to their house and they were friends and, and said, you know, come over and stay at our house. A year later, she lived with him. So Henry Winkler <laughs> wow. and his wife nice. pretty much like, you know, like, you know, took care of her and were, were there as a support system for her. And like pretty much, pretty much like unknowingly to everyone. I think this, this is the first time I've ever hearing Marley Matlin share that story. And I was like, Oh, that's so cool. Like Henry, Henry Winkler is awesome. Like he's an mm -hmm. icon, but you know, he does give off that vibe of someone that would be like a good dad, like dad vibes. And, and um, it, it was funny because when Marley Madeline said the day that she told them that they were going to leave, uh, Henry Winkler's wife, and for, forgive me for not knowing her name, but she, she said, you know, Marley, what did we do wrong? Like, why are you leaving? And I thought that was so sweet. Like, that she, <laughs> like they didn't even want her to leave. They wanted her right, to right. <laughs> And Marley was like, I have to grow up. Like, I have to go out and mm -hmm. get my own place. And she was a young woman, but, you know. Like she was very grateful for them and she credits them for for being there's her support system. But I thought that was a great story about, you know, Henry Winkler, Hollywood star being a good person. <laughs> <laughs> Hollywood star thought. and good person, huh? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's really cool. That's really cool. Yeah. And, so, and I, I think he's also Jewish, just like you. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm supposed to relate to him now. I, I always go around hitting things going, hey, and it works, right? So yeah, why not? <laughs> I thought that was Yiddish. Hey, no. <laughs> no. <laughs> oh, wait, that's oy vey. Oy vey, yes, there yeah, you go. It is kind of similar, but. <laughs> Let me break out my Yiddish to Hebrew, <laughs> which I know neither, so. <laughs> There, there, you know where I've learned some Yiddish is from watching Judge Judy. Like she, every once in a while, she'll break out with like this, like Yiddish saying. And then she looks at people like, why don't you know what I'm saying? Like, are you stupid? I'm like, oh, because not everyone speaks Yiddish, Judge. Like, <laughs> but I, I love it. That's funny. Why yeah. don't you know what I'm talking about? Come on. Yeah. <laughs> the the other thing that I'm really excited about, I know you are too, because we already dealt with a special portion of our, our podcast earlier today, but um, saw fantastic movie last night on Netflix, The Paper Tigers. Oh, you finally watched it. <laughs> <laughs> surprise, surprise. Surprise. <laughs> yeah. So I, I finally took your recommendation and, and for, for our listeners, for those who haven't um, actually watched uh, the, the movie, The Paper Tigers, um, I'll go ahead and, and share with you a little bit of a recap or uh, not a recap, but basically the essentially the plot of the movie. So you have um, three friends that are trained under a Kung Fu master and they're referred to as the Paper Tigers. They're, you know, really well, the great. three tigers. Oh, initially yeah, three, three. Yeah. And and uh, the plot happens to, you know, some things happen and they come together 30 years later, middle-aged men, some of them out of shape, some of them forgetting their Kung Fu ways, um, some of them a little injured and worse for wear. And the plot kind of goes from there. Um, and that's what initially attracted me to the movie is that, you know, I, I saw that it was guys that are in their forties and, um, are not exactly the most fit anymore. And I immediately <laughs> related to them because I'm like, oh, that's that's my demographic. That's my age group. And, um, you know, uh, spoiler alert, they still kick ass. They're still badass in the movie. And that's what I love is that it shows that us Jet Xers can still kick ass when we need to. And um, overall, it's a great movie. And, and um, what, did, what were your thoughts about the movie, Danny? Oh, like I shared last episode, it's fantastic. <laughs> I, I I think, um, like you said, it really shows, and I think the heart of the movie is that it's never too late to, you know, maybe recapture your goals that you once had or recapture yeah. the, 
your passion that maybe along the way you have lost or lost sight of. So I think that as that being the central core of the movie, they surrounded it with fantastic martial arts, some humor, and it made it into a great movie that can reach all generations. Yeah. And the, the acting and the cast were, were really great. Yeah. Um, I think they all did a great job. Um, all the, the lead cast, some of the standouts for me was um, Ron Yuan. Sorry if mm -hmm. I'm mispronouncing that, but he played Hing and he's, you know, one of the three tigers and he's gained a little bit of weight. He's a little chubby, <laughs> a little thick. Um, and he has a knee injury and he may have lost some of his hair, but <laughs> he, he's out there proving that, that guys that are a little thicker can still kick butt. He, uh, he's, He's one of the, the tigers that I think learned from their master more of the uh, medicinal uh, mm -hmm. healing factors. Mm -hmm. yeah, so that right, makes right. him a little bit cooler is that he he has that medicinal background and and in alternative meth medicine, which is another cool thing that, that happens throughout the, the plot of the movie. Um, one of the other characters that I really liked in the movie was uh, the character uh, named Carter, um, played oh, yeah. by Matthew Page his physical faces and um his physical comedy was making me laugh so much <laughs> there's a, a portion of the film as yeah. you can remember where he's like doing different like the cobra the fighting monkey <laughs> the pan like it was just i mean those aren't the real things because i'm not a guy but but you can imagine like it was just it but he did it with like such seriousness but like it was so funny and like the faces that he was making it was just cracking me up like it was it was uh hilarious i just thought he was so funny that he's was a really great physical comedian well i think his character and yes he was great he was fantastic and matthew page played that perfectly i think it, he also played it perfectly whereas okay so maybe his character was meant to be a jerk later on in life yeah. but um that aside the fact that he stuck with it from his youth and, and stuck with the art, the martial art, the Kung Fu, and was able to progress from where he was just a, a kid who got pushed around, beat around when he always tried mm -hmm. to spar the three tigers, but, and to get to where he was at toward the, and the latter half of the movie, it just really um, speaks to perseverance and mm -hmm. to really, you know, sticking true to maybe what you love, no matter how hard it is. So, yeah, I thought yeah. he did that really well. And I think that it, it our, our last podcast, we talked about like cultural appropriation or people, you know, having a passion for something that, that mm -hmm. maybe they're not originally part of, of, of that culture and him being a Caucasian person and, and being in, you know, the Kung Fu or martial arts realm, I think the characters, you know, who <laughs> are, um, you know, Asian American and one's African American, you know, I think that might be part of their their uh you know internal dialogue is like who's this white guy that like thinks right. that he's a kung fu master and it's kind of a joke and and though but with his perseverance and his reverence for martial arts and for his master and for you know that craft or that that you know artistry they sort of be you know not to spoil anything but like start to respect him because it goes beyond like oh this is a guy that's trying to like you know um be like a, a culture vulture and like pick something culture that's vulture. cool out of out of our out of you know out of out of their culture to mm -hmm. someone like oh clearly like he's dedicated his life and respects it and then it's like okay like you proved yourself like you're you're a good guy like you're i mean not a good guy in sense of like hero villain but like a good guy as in like you're, you're actually respect um you know what you're learning and have reverence for it and and um you know, and I, that's cool. Like it, you know, it, it kind of goes to our conversation where it's like people can smell authenticity, you know, yeah. within people mm -hmm. and know whether or not they're truly, you know, want to be part of something for the right reasons versus, you know, just trying to kind of, uh, you know, steal something from someone else's culture. So that's, it's kind yeah. of an interesting sort of, you know, subplot point, I think. Yeah, definitely. And I think the director, Bao Tran, really pulled it all in together, all those different points that we were talking about just now. And I know it's a project that he had been working on for like 10 years to, from starting the script to finally wrapping filming. And now they're on like their 
call it a press circuit in a way, but we're lucky here at Pop Cult X because we actually got to get into that press circuit and we got to chat with Boutran today. So we're going to go ahead and, you know, we're just going to share this conversation with you all and we really hope you enjoy it. So let's, let's, let's roll the film. Hello everyone. Welcome to a special episode of Little Talks with Pop Cult X. I'm your co-host Daniel along with Gabriel. We are very excited to welcome the writer, director of the action comedy movie, I'll say of the year so far, um, Paper Tigers. Welcome Bao Tran to the show. Hello Bao, welcome. Hello, thanks for having me. It's very awesome to have you on the show. Now, um, before I get too much into the movie part of it, I just wanna say that I'm a huge fan of your work. I went back and I watched Bookie last night. I saw clips of the Challenger and it's just, your style that you bring to the screen is so, um, it's so real and authentic. And I appreciate that. It's not like fantasy side. It's really, I can feel the grit of it. So with that being said, where do you get your inspiration and style from? Wow, that's a big question. And thank you so much for <laughs> kind words. Uh, I don't know, I guess I'm trying to kind of a bit of chop suey fish here. You know, okay. I grew up watching uh, kind of like entertainment from all different types of cultures. You know, I'm, uh, I'm the first of my uh, family to be born here in the U.S. as a Vietnamese American. So I kind of grew up in this kind of bicultural household, which meant, you know, different types of food, food at home and food, <laughs> hamburger and pizzas, uh, you know, outside. Right. And it's kind of the same thing with entertainment. You know, we we had like, a, uh, you know, we'd go to Chinatown and get the video store and get the uh, latest movies and TV shows, you know, from Asia, TPP and Hong Kong movies and all that mm -hmm. stuff. Um, so we, you know, devour all that stuff, you know, binge watch, uh, you know, 30, 40 VHS tapes, you know, in, in, a, in a single clip and watch that. And then meanwhile, go out to the theaters and watch Spielberg and James Cameron, and, you know, nice. just really loving, you know, uh, Hollywood movies as a whole. And uh, obviously comic books are a huge inspiration, just kind of reading, again, two different types of forms, you know, manga as an early age and then, you know, American comic books, you know, in your son 11 before you get kicked out um but yeah i mean that's all you know that's kind of my childhood experience with stories and images and and color too you know i just i just remember you know my child being being really colorful of just all different types of uh you know uses of the palette and, and whatnot so um yeah so I, it's a it's a hard thing to say you know i just love and am inspired by just stories from all over and uh you know especially comedies and humor is so interesting you know see how mm -hmm. it plays so differently across cultures and different age groups as well um you know that's such a, a fascinating thing to kind of explore and, and figure out what that is but you know like you said bookie is a noir piece so you know right uh, you know just spanning across different types of genres and, and really just uh you know loving stories in general awesome awesome would you say that your parents as immigrants their story and then your in turn your life as a child of an immigrant has really shaped your storytelling style then? Yeah, I think in a whole sense, you know, I think it's very, um, how would you say, uh, I've learned to have my feet on the ground, you know, it's like, mm -hmm. maybe it's kind of a bit of a blue collar art and, <laughs> and just really appreciate, you know, what, you know, my family appreciated at, around the campfire, or just around the TV and just mm -hmm. appreciate that. So I'm not really, uh, I didn't grow up too fine culture, you know, we're very, we're very uh, salt of the earth people. <laughs> Um, and, and so that's what I really appreciate and just some, stuff that really can appeal to everyone and I'm really attentive to, uh, maybe this is the way to answer the question. I'm attentive to the type of stuff, trying to tell stories in movies that, you know, my family and my parents and the old generation can understand and also the younger kids can understand right. and, and appreciate. Right. So, um, and, and it doesn't have to be meaning like a safe, child-friendly family film in that sense, but just something right. in the storytelling that's that's accessible, that's real, that's something that, you know, people can just relate to. Right on. And about one of the things that I noticed while watching uh, your film was that the movie is very diverse with the characters that, that are portrayed. You know, you have an African-American, Caucasian, Asian-Americans, etc. Was that something that you set, set to do before making the movie is that you wanted something that represented the mixture of a lot of different cultures and, and show that brotherhood that's a, that so many of us actually have in this in the United States of friends that are from different backgrounds. Yeah, absolutely. I think when you have, uh, I guess, how would you say, 
you know, a minority perspective, you know, we all kind of band together and share notes and compare experiences because <laughs> we're, we're kind of on the fringes and we're a bit of an outsider uh, situation. So that is always um, definitely in the DNA of all the work that I do, you know, bookie as well. And uh, just really understanding what it means to kind of be on the, on the, I guess, on the fringes, uh, even though now we're being a little bit more accepted in the mainstream culture, but you know, always feel a little bit on the outside. And I think that's just, that's fine. And it's a way of kind of seeing the world and seeing how uh, people interact with each other. And so that's really important as well um, that we wanted to have, um, you know, how we kind of band, <laughs> how we talk about white people when white people aren't around, <laughs> no offense, but it's, you know, it is kind of like that type of vibe, which is always hear fun, fun, fun and interesting to me. Uh, oh, you won't hear it. <laughs> so, <laughs> um, but yeah, it's that type of, you know, that type of energy that's always fun and entertaining because you almost like you kind of let your hair down. You don't have to behave. You don't have to be a model minority. Uh, you know, so those are really rich stories, I think, that are really interesting. And, uh, you know, one of the kind of the key things from the outset um, was that, like, we didn't want anyone speaking accents. You know, it was just us speaking mm -hmm. the way we normally speak and the way we grew up and having our friends that we knew each other. And, um, and then just kind of on that historical aspect, you know, for Kung Fu culture, um, this movie set in Seattle, I'm from Seattle. It's, uh, you know, it's also kind of a loving tribute to, to Bruce Lee's contribution right. here in Seattle. Cause when he first came to the States, you know, he came to Seattle and uh, went to school here. He went to, he opened up his Kung Fu school. He met mm -hmm. his wife here. He had students that were all broad stripes and colors. Mm -hmm. um, and that still, you know, continue to teach to this day. So, you know, that's the type of legacy of history that we still live under and, we kind of like uh, reap the war rewards of that. Right. Absolutely. Um, I also got a sense that, that you're uh, a big, maybe a hip hop fan, that hip hop culture um, is, is heavily influenced in this movie, that, that you have um, people talking with sort of like a hip hop swag, that hip hop beats that are part of the soundtrack. Are, are you a hip hop music fan? And was that something that you incorporated, you know, into the, the, your film as a, a fan of that genre of music? Yeah, I think it's, again, kind of speaking to what we're talking about, kind of the appreciation of each other's cultures, especially Black mm -hmm. culture and Black music. Mm -hmm. uh, that's, uh, you know, Asians and Blacks, you know, kind of came together and uh, culturally <laughs> speaking, you know, really, really close, you know, in terms of the influence of hip hop, R&B. And, you know, that's a lot of stuff that I grew up uh, in listening and appreciating. And uh, so, yeah, that's kind of the backdrop uh, to kind of like set the pace for these guys kind of coming together in that world. Also sets them in that time as well. Um, yeah, it's an interesting thing. It's always a, it's a, it's kind of like in, again, in the DNA of the things that I look for, for music. And, you know, I always kind of tell my composer that I want something that's a little more bump in the trunk, you know, so a little, bit more, <laughs> a little lower, you know, just like, cause it's like percussion and just like really rhythm based, uh, mm -hmm. whereas yeah. a lot of, you know, maybe Western scores are a little bit more, you know, from the melody or point of view but like i wanted like a, something that dri drove you know that you could always just feel there was a rhythm to it so. nice. as um you were also the writer and director of paper tigers so what process or creative process did you do you prefer the writing of it or maybe even more so the directing of the movie um i heard it was like was it billy wilder saying he's like when i'm writing i'd rather be directing when I'm directing, I'd rather be writing. Um, yeah. Because <laughs> you just see the things that, oh, I should have fixed this or, you know, I should be doing mm -hmm. this instead. Um, yeah, for me, I grew up, uh, you know, kind of learning self-taught uh, filmmaking. And uh, at that time, you know, Robert Rodriguez, uh, Robert Rodriguez oh, yeah. was like this huge, huge influence. And so the whole mm -hmm. ethos is just guerrilla filmmaking, grabbing a camera, learning mm -hmm. how to do everything, write, direct, and edit. And so I, I kind of did that. Path. And, and so the whole thing of like, division of labor where it's once you start getting into credits and all this stuff where it's like a little bit more you know uh developed types of films like i never really understood those kind of layers <laughs> of, of really division because i think it's really one piece you know yeah. um and when i'm writing i'm already thinking about editing you're editing you are you know you are sculpting the writing and the dialogue you're deciding what dialogue goes in and goes out and there's also you know the thing with adr is that you can come bring in actors later to loop in lines, additional lines. So you're always kind of thinking about that as well. Um, so yeah, it's all of a piece to me. And, and, and maybe that's, a, that's kind of a, that has really helped me, you know, on set in terms of figuring out what I want and what uh, the things that we need or we, we don't need, you know, I can kind of make those quick 
editorial decisions or writing decisions as you go. So, and uh, maybe actors argue with you less when, when <laughs> you wrote the script. <laughs> so. That's true. That's true. Um, with so you you've done a, a lot of this is your first feature film. So you've done a lot of short films before this. Uh, how much ex did you draw on that experience from short films and bring it into the feature film world? Yeah, so this is the first feature film that I've directed. Uh, I've edited uh, feature films before. I, I was uh, working right. out in Vietnam for a while and I was cutting um, features from some other directors. So I learned a lot uh, just from that process and, you okay. know, learning the other side of the coin. Like I said before, I, you know, I kind of learned how to do it all as a piece. But the other one, uh, those experiences taught me to kind of like, you know, this is my lane, stay in the lane. What, <laughs> what does the director want? What, you know, my job is to kind of help execute for what the director wants. Uh, so that kind of helped me appreciate, you know, that collaborative aspect as well. And then, you know, all those experience coming together and in, into Paper Tigers uh, certainly was all helpful. Um, yeah, I think it's all storytelling in a lot of ways. Honestly, I think shorts are really actually harder to make than features. Um, features are harder hard to make, you know, uh, logistically and it's yeah. just this big train and moving so many moving parts but the short from a story point of view uh the audience is a lot less forgiving like your short has to be really you know mm -hmm. tight as far as like what you're showing to the audience because they they'll drift they'll wander like they'll question <laughs> why things are there because you don't they only have about six you know six ten whatever minutes right. to do it whereas a feature there's a little bit more forgiveness it's like okay some scene's going to be a little bit slower or whatnot. So there's, it's interesting to kind of watch how kind of time is elastic uh, between short and features. I think shorts are very, very hard uh, to make and do do well. And I really appreciate great short filmmakers and short films uh, from that point of view. Um, uh, but when you go into the features, it's it's a little bit like kind of like how do you how do you eat you know uh, an elephant you know uh, bite by bite. So it's the same thing. Like each act <laughs> and each each piece is like a short film. You know, every every little. And maybe 10 minute sequence is kind of a short film within a feature. Yeah, so you can think about it from that point of view. Uh, it, 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 it certainly helps. Right on. Now, one question I just had, um, this is more specific about the casting. It's just something I noticed. So um, in the early part of Paper Tires, we get the 90s montage, which I thought was really cool and really well executed and made it look like it was from that era, especially with the VHS, you know, and you get that feel of it. But we see that the character of Danny, he's he's probably pretty he's pretty big, he's pretty built. But then fast forward 30 years, or oh, he's a little bit more scrawny, you know, a little bit more run down with life, which is what you were trying to tell with the story, I see. But then we get the reverse with his rival Carter. He's the scrawny kid at the beginning, and then he's really built. And you make a joke of that in the script itself, in the writing of how he mentions it. Now, was that something that when you did the casting that you wanted? Or was that just something that just happened to be that they had that reversal of their body statures? Mm -hmm. uh, I think in terms of like the clear reversal of statures, that definitely came through casting. You know, there's certain things that I kind of wrote in the script just, just to show, you know, how does a person go to pot? You know, they either, <laughs> you know, gain wage or they lose, you know, they get emaciated or I mean, right. so there's all these different ways that you could kind of like uh, spin that tail. Uh, but, you know, there's also the reality of indie film, you know, you're not always going to get all the things that you can have on paper. And the reality is, you right. know, that portion, that short, uh, the, 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 uh, it's really a short film, you know, the first 10 mm -hmm. minutes of the, it was, yeah. the, the younger heroes, uh, we actually shot that like a year, a year and a half before the rest of the shoot. Okay. Um, because if we were raising money and we were trying to figure out, you know, how do we have a piece that we could help sizzle and, you know, help uh, sell mm, the proof gotcha. of content. Um, so we shot that without knowing what the rest of the cast or the future cast was going to look like, you know, uh, maybe, you know, a little continuity is, you know, Jim kind of changes skin tones a bit. Uh, but that's that's what happened because we didn't we just didn't know like what our cast was going to be. And they were great. And we just kind of ran with it and, and used that footage. Um, and so when we got to the point where we found Elaine who played Danny, like he was slender. Mm -hmm. He was a great actor. He wasn't honestly wasn't the, the physical stature wasn't who we had in mind. Um, but it worked, right? He had right. this kind of this silver fox thing going on. He was very skinny or slimmer, and slimmer. And then we had Ron, who was uh, who was already attached before as a thing, and he's you know a larger stature. Mm -hmm. It's like oh boom, that this already you know sold itself. Like you have kind of again people going to pot in different ways, uh, <laughs> and so you you know it, it just worked out that it was complimentary. And then also Matt is 
who plays Carter is just huge as it is. And, and he's much bigger in person than you can imagine. So it just, uh, you know, and that's kind of the, that's kind of like the, the magic of indie film because you have to be really flexible and, uh, mm-hmm. but know what, to, what you need. And, and, and hopefully the universe provides. And in, in this case it did. And uh, it just happened that way that they're just all like great for the part. And like same with yeah, Jim they and are. Mikkel, like mm-hmm. just great for the part. And we just wanted to go with that. Um, so yeah, and then, then you, you you kind of like those visuals come up and you start to learn to lean in on that as you're produ- as you're shooting it and then figure out, you know, visually, you know, how to put them in the frame together and you show that contrast. So that all kind of like comes as a piece, you know, I kind of think of it as, you know, you kind of like roll with the punches a bit uh, with indie filmmaking. So, I mean, you certainly have an idea and then you, uh, <laughs> then you get punched in the face. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> So, Val, I wanted to to kind of go back to something that you said earlier, that you're a big comic book fan. I'm a huge comic book nerd. And so um, if you were to ever get an opportunity to adapt a comic book into a, a feature film, is there a character that you've always been a fan of that you would you would love to be able to do that? Uh, yeah, I mean, there's so many. I mean, I love, you know, Frank Miller's run on Daredevil. Like that was, you know, one of huge lines of you know storytelling that i really love and appreciate it um i haven't really kept up with all the adaptations i, I hear the series was pretty pretty faithful but uh, uh yeah it's just stuff like that i remember just growing up i think it was more about also just also the, the type of graphics and uh mm-hmm. the type of uh you know that frame storytelling that mm-hmm. is just so mm-hmm. specific to comics and i just appreciate it as the art form itself and it was not just the characters and heroes which was great and the archetypes, which is great, but also the way the panels and the layouts and the way your eye kind of wanders through the book. And it, I think that's like so beautiful to me. And I, I, I try to think about that because there's a certain flow that you mm-hmm. have uh, in a graphic or in a comic or a graphic novel. There is a kind of a flow in, in movies that you have to think about to get the audience to kind of follow you on. So those are kind of the takeaways that I got. But I, I definitely kind of respect um, them as its own. Akira was awesome, you know, and mm-hmm. even just that pure black and white, you know, it's, most of the manga, you know, was black and whites. And so we kind of feel the colors in our own head of what that is. So I, I think that's really fun and interesting too. I don't know if it flies as a movie, but you know, you know, just again, from a graphic point of view, it's just so, so, so beautiful. And I wish, honestly wish people appreciate comics more and just for that point of view than just, you know, the, the characters and, and the, the, the universes, if you will, because the art itself is, is fantastic. Yeah, Bill Sinkovich, yeah. you know, amazing. Like, mm-hmm. you know, you could rattle on for days. Like, Bill Sinkovich, how do you do that into movies? You can't. Like, it's <laughs> so specific, right? So. Yeah, that that I I couldn't agree anymore. I, I I as a photographer was very inspired by the visuals of comic books, and uh, you know, I mean, even things that I think people would be really surprised by, but like comics influence fashion, they influence storytelling, writing. Um, just every aspect of, I think, art has been, ins- fine art has been inspired by comic books. So I'm definitely like encouraged kids to pick up comic books. I mean, it helped my vocabulary, believe it or not. That's oh, how yeah, I think I, I started reading was being that little kid that every day my mom would take me to the 7-Eleven, I'd pick up a comic book and I was reading, you know, these fantastic stories that had, you know, amazing, uh, you know, characters and, and language in it. And, and so it really helped me. So I, I'm a big fan of, of comic books as well. So. I just wanted to get yeah. from from one geek to maybe another. Find out <laughs> how they inspired you. I think you, I'll, you'll, I'll geek me, but yeah, I mean, I, I, you know, those things are so important. To me. Also, just kind of the, uh, um, honestly, not to be hokey about it, but there was a there was a real heroism of those certain type of stories. At least the stories that I was growing up with, you know, a heroism with Superman and and Batman mm-hmm. and all those things before the, that type of cynicism kind of took over, and you know. You know, maybe that's a bit of a conversation for a, another day, but you know, I, I just feel like there's a lot of like, yeah, I mean, superheroes are super for a reason, and there yeah. should be something to grasp onto for that because they they are they should be those type of shining lights, you know. I agree. So Absolutely. we we are a pop culture podcast, and all right. So um, what are you currently binging or watching right now that's just like eating up a lot, if you have any spare time, eating up your spare time? Uh, binging, I can't say, because it's like I, I watch it, I have a queue, but I, I can't really sit and watch things in one go. Uh, mm-hmm. Just, you know, the time is just, I don't know how 
everyone does it. Kudos to everyone, please. You keep us, you keep us, uh, you know, keep, uh, keep, keep putting food on our table, which is good. Right. But uh, I don't know how you do it as a viewer. I don't. Um, last week I saw Reservation Dogs, which I really loved. I saw the pilot for that, and I think it's fantastic. Awesome. Mm -hmm. um, Taika Waititi is just a huge, you know, inspiration as well. You know, kind of this modern mm -hmm. day, um, fantastic storyteller, just blending all these different modes. But uh, yeah, for Res Reservation Dogs is a lot of fun. I, I'm really excited to see what what's next for that. Um, I love Golden Girls. <laughs> like if I have it on my queue, I just watch the episodes of Golden Girls. That's my jam. Uh, Bob's Burgers. I've been, you know, really love uh, Simpsons as well. Simpsons is one of, you know, the big influences for me yeah. as well on kind of the TV side or whatnot. And speaking of short storytelling, like, you know, that's when I really kind of learned to understand what, uh, what shorts were, you know, those episodes, the really great mm -hmm. episodes were really great short films, essentially. Um, and so, yeah, I don't know, come up, come an old head. Uh, if there's something new, you know, a lot of people recommend to see it and, uh, I'll, I'll check it out. So. <laughs> right. And we're both huge fans of the Simpsons. So, so we completely agree with you there and they're, and they're just, I think the perfect pop culture show because they incorporate everything into there. So. Yeah, I agree with you there. Um, so I have it on good authority from um, one of your stars that you are a huge fan of karaoke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I won't make. I won't ask you to sing. Yeah. <laughs> Fake, news. Now. Fake news. <laughs> Fake news. <laughs> but what's your drop? What's your um, go-to song in karaoke? Oh, don't worry about it. I got a whole concept now. You know what? My whole set list is just like. <laughs> I'm trying to I'm trying to do you know a whole 12 track 13 track album uh, interspersed by you know uh my my you know maybe side acts I consider everyone else a side act when they're when I'm waiting for my song right I, I just wait for my stuff to come out. I don't know I like to warm it up you know uh start something upbeat you know so it's uh it can kind of vary on the mood but again kind of an old head so maybe some I like to do start something that really actually gets everyone singing together. That way it kind of warms up my vocals as well. Gotcha. In kind of the lazy way. I like to do the lazy <laughs> Vegas uh, entertainer uh, trick of just like, you know, putting out the mic and like, hey, now you sing <laughs> while, you, while you can rest, and, you know, have a sip of scotch while you're at it and just waiting. Yeah, so that's what I do. I guess I am a la I'm a lazy concept album artist singer. Let's put it that way. <laughs> That's awesome. <laughs> now, I know for me, when I finish a project, um, I'm also a photographer, you know, actor, whatever. But when I finish a project, I'm already thinking about the next three or four projects down the line. So with that being said, what's next for you? Do you have any projects that you could tell us anything about that you have down the pipeline that you see coming up for you? What's going on next? Yeah, it's a lot of stuff, you know, when, you know, and you, you appreciate this, you know, whether you're freelance world or freelance life or creative life, you always have to have a couple things in the fire because mm -hmm. <laughs> uh, you never know which one kind of takes off. So yeah, uh, definitely working on some ideas, uh, working through some ideas on the feature side, TV side, um, oh, even right some on. docs. I'm not, I'm not usually a doc person, but I'm, I'm helping uh, advise or chat uh, with some other creators on, on, on a documentary. So um, again, just creating is really interesting to me and just and any stories that are, you know, impactful. I think that's what I'm mostly interested in by. Um, yeah, hopefully we can kind of continue on, you know, uh, this movie took quite a while, quite a pound of flesh out of me to make, uh, <laughs> but hopefully it won't take as long, you know, uh, to make that next one. So hopefully we can get a film out uh, for everybody to hopefully enjoy soon. Right on. No. Oh, did you have something, Gabe? Yeah, I was just going to say congratulations on, on the success of the movie and, mm -hmm. you know, you you being able to, you know, sign on to Netflix and see it in the you know top 10, one of the top films that's streaming right now on, on Netflix. How does that feel to, to you know, see all mm -hmm. that hard work uh, finally come to, to be so uh, widely recognized by fans and being celebrated? Uh, it's fantastic, you know, over the moon about all the reactions. It wasn't, you know, didn't turn out the way we expected it, you know, with COVID, obviously, and all those things. Mm -hmm. So it's just always been like every day has been, you know, what's next. And we always have to like adjust and again, roll with the punches. So we, we were just like so, um, um, you know, so focused on just promoting the film and getting it out there. We're still uh, going out and touring the country uh, with screenings and all that. 
so the work is still not done. So, <laughs> but we do want to stop and smell the roses and enjoy. Yes, we're on Netflix. Yeah. Which is fantastic, and a lot of people are coming to it kind of cold in a lot of ways. And a lot of ways, we're we we're at the point where we're we don't have to bug our friends to watch it anymore now like which is always nice you know imagine because we did a kickstarter so we're like even before the movie was made you know before the movie was uh, released you know we were doing that begging and and everyone please like us yeah. during kickstarter mm -hmm. as well so there's mm -hmm. been a whole energy uh for all that time so it's kind of nice to kind of do a gear shift and at least enjoy and look at each other and appreciate like wow what, what we've uh, been able to do and also Kind of watch it grow beyond our expectations so uh um yeah it, it, it's been it's been super cool especially they're in, you know an online more kind of like virtual experience you know it, it's just kind of we get you know this type of uh great feedback and, and comments uh from all over so that's been really nice too i appreciate as a fan the way you take the time to interact with people on twitter and the way the rest of the cast does as well they get in there and they're willing to comment, willing to, you know, just interact. And we, that's something that, you know, it's, it's not as usual as you'd expect nowadays, but uh, so I appreciate that. Thank you. I, I paid for the unlimited plan just to do that. How did you discover the film? I'm just curious. Uh, myself, I was walking through, I think target one day and I saw it there saw the oh, DVD nice. or Blu-ray and I was like, what is that? Because I saw the the picture on the cover, which, you know, and I was like, oh, I'm a formal martial artist. I took Taekwondo for 15 years and then hadn't done it. So when I read the description of the movie, I was like, wow, this looks really great. And then I put it back down on the shelf and walked away. <laughs> <laughs> but then I said, I wonder if this movie's on like Redbox or something like that. So I looked it up there. Sure enough, it was there and didn't get it. But then I saw it was on Netflix. It came and I was like, okay, I'm watching it right now. And the universe has talked to told he's yelled into your ear three times <laughs> exactly and the third time i finally listened and i'm so glad that i did because it i related to the characters in so many different ways and it was just wonderful to see that so i appreciate you telling that story and and i think it's really great in that i see a lot of people online are feeling the same way that i do maybe it's a lost art martial art that they got away from that they're trying to get back into now or maybe they're discovering what their their goals and their youth were and they're finally starting to try to relive them so i think you've motivated a lot of our us gen x people to get back in there and try and relive what our youthful dreams were yeah definitely and and for me the what really attracted me to the movie and which kind of really touched me about it was being that that i'm in my 40s you know i i have to balance my life my career family <laughs> all of that and and seeing these like young up and coming you know whippersnappers you know biting at our, our feet you know thinking that they're bigger faster stronger than us so i definitely relate to the characters maybe being a little <laughs> out of shape and, and you know wanting to to uh, take up that challenge from younger people but um and then you know reevaluating and reassessing where you're at and mm -hmm. saying you know what's important to me what's at my core you know what what were some of the the um promises that i made to myself as a young man and what maybe i forgot about and what can i go back to and, and still honor in my life because it's never too late to you know obviously yeah. within this story arc it's never too late to go back to who you truly are and, and i appreciate that that story arc and i appreciate the, the perspective from you know three men that are my age and uh, my, my, so, you know, one of them being the same physical stature. So I appreciate that a lot. Yes. <laughs> That's awesome to hear. Thank you. Yeah. That's great. Yeah, chubby, chubby guys can still kick butt too. <laughs> Hell yeah. Hell yeah. They <laughs> right on, right there'll, on. There'll be a whole empowering movement, you know, from this movie. It'll just be a upswell of chubby guys, you know, kicking high and learning how to do all the flips and tricks. It'll be great. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> well, I remember from like older um, Jackie Chan movies, like Wheels on Meals and stuff like that, where they had the heavier set guys doing the action movie. So to see it again in here was great. So I think that's fantastic. Thank you. Yeah, it's well, been really, it's been really fun to kind of see these guys. Uh, uh, you know, Ron had gained weight for the role, and we were talking about, oh, you know, wow. you were talking about the different contrasts of the characters. Ron, who plays Hang, um, mm -hmm. was 
Husky, I think he gained a, a couple pounds. He gained a few pounds from Mulan. And then, but right. still seeing a lane next to him, like I asked him to gain more weight. So yeah, <laughs> like in the span of like six weeks, he just started like kind of putting down the pounds. He was binging uh, a different thing. <laughs> he was binging a different thing and to, to make it. And then, and it looks great now. Now, now, now I, now I'm happy with the contrast, but yeah, it was a lot of work again for all the cast kind of do. And then like even Ron, Ron is the most, um, he's the most, uh, I would say he's the most experienced out of the three uh, three guys in terms of screen fighting and, and mm-hmm. stuff like that. You've probably seen his face all around. He's, you know, a very well-known character actor. But, uh, um, you know, even that, but he, him gaining weight about, you know, a good, you know, a, 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 a significant amount of weight, you move your body a little bit differently than what you're mm-hmm. used to. And so he was even feeling that challenges and you can kind of see that in the way he kind of like throws the kicks and it's, it's it, you know, you can see the character, the actors kind of making those adjustments real time into seeing how their body is kind of do this choreography and stuff like that. Right. Uh, so, yeah, it's, it's like it's that's what I really, uh, you know, what we really kind of wanted to go for and appreciate uh, was like how real that, you know, that type of uh, these guys actually trying to move is and what that actually means and the whole ramifications of that. Right. I did appreciate the authenticity authenticity of the fight scenes themselves. So it wasn't, and I think I read somewhere that you had to do that because you didn't have a big budget for like wire acts and stuff like that. But I think it, it led perfectly to the movie itself. I mean, it was authentic Kung Fu. It was, it was something that um, a lot of people can relate to and it's the ground game there and whatnot. And so I think you, you captured that perfectly. So. Yeah, they did all their own stunts because uh, we couldn't afford stunt doubles. Number one, <laughs> <laughs> number two, they number two they really wanted to, and so uh, that's kind of like what we want to go. And this kind of speaks to the indie film, like our, you know, we already knew it was going to be a big budget film, so you kind of want to come up with a story that you know kind of makes sense and and stuff mm-hmm. that you could pull off in this world. And so it all kind of worked together in that sense. And yeah, like you say wires first of all would have been out of the question for budget but number two it's just not the world that we have and you know it's not uh not that and i love and appreciate like i said just all that the incredible history of wire work action but you know it's just this is kind of a different flavor though different dish you know they were, they were just cooking up uh this type of dish um and it just had its own particular needs and and and, and specifics and whatnot and also like um the type of action was you know meant to be a little bit sloppier and these guys are you know, not quite up to snuff, you know, in mm-hmm. the film. And so how do we kind of like find those textures and elements? So in the same sense, uh, we we had to kind of like train ourselves uh, uh, when we were editing is like look for the other take that may not look great, but would be right for the mm-hmm. film. Um, so there's a couple of takes where we would use where it's like the second best take or the third best take. Um, That's cool. In terms of like <laughs> technical, you know, in terms mm-hmm. of like looking and everything being crisp and clean because we wanted uh, that roughness and that texture. That's really cool. I didn't even think about that. That is really cool. It's a little tidbit you learned here in Pop Cult X. <laughs> right here. <laughs> Only here. <laughs> well, um, thank you very much, Val, for spending some time with us today. We really, really appreciate it. We're huge fans of your work, huge fans of Paper Tigers. Um, I look forward to espousing it to everyone. I told my dad, who's a been in Taekwondo for many more years, and I stayed oh, yeah. with it. He loved the movie, so it is a generational. Like you said, it goes beyond just one generational. You, it crosses all boundaries. So, thank you again so very much for taking some time to talk with us today. We really, really appreciate it. Yeah, it was great chatting with you guys. Thanks for having me. Thank you. So, for that, we will be signing off and. Thank you again, everyone, for watching Little Talks with Pop Cult X. I'm glad that we actually both got together to be able to interview Bao as well and have that conversation. I know we've done a lot of interviews with different people, but we always seem to be one of us does it, the other one's all busy or whatnot. But this yeah. time we were both able to get in there. And I think um, he had so much. It was great to hear so much insight into his perspective on filmmaking and what inspired him what where he derives his style from and and i think it was just fantastic conversation i really enjoyed it so i thank you again bao for taking the time um to talk with us here at popcult x yeah absolutely and and once again congratulations to him because the film is fantastic it's it's really getting a lot of great reception 
Mm -hmm. um, as many people know, like it was, you know, one of the top 10 Netflix uh, films that was was out, you know, so really popular. A lot of people are, are watching it. I think that that one of the cool things is is the intersection between like the hip hop or like African-American community and the Asian community that's that's mm -hmm. seen that dynamic is seen within the movie. And you certainly see that like one of the, the biggest um, fans of Kung Fu movies are or is the African-American community like famously mm -hmm. like Wu-Tang Clan grew up watching Kung Fu movies and that's how they got their name for their group. And uh, and so I, I think it's cool that that someone who um, has, you know, a background such as ours that we, you know, have pulled from a lot of different influences and then mm -hmm. to create something that has, you know, all of that, that that is a unique experience. But at the same time, like we can relate to it because we're like that. We have, you know, right. he talked about having influences from comic books, which I was really <laughs> uh, surprised at and happy to hear about, uh, you know, music and, and film. And and uh, so it was a really cool interview. I'm really glad that I was able to, to sit in and participate in that. Um, and I definitely recommend watching the movie for anyone who hasn't seen it, watch it again. Um, I, I was just talking to my dad on my drive home from work and saying like, you have to watch this. And, <laughs> and uh, he's like, oh, is that the one that's like about a bunch of old guys that, that start? And I was like, well, dad, it's kind of relative because the old guys are my age. So from your perspective, they're young. They're young guys. <laughs> they're, they're babies. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think just to go back real quick, what you said about um, him enjoying comic books, he also mentioned the enjoying manga and how he liked the mm -hmm. black and white manga. And one of the his short films that he had done, the bookie is all in black and white. So I didn't get the chance to talk to him about that. But when he said that, I was picturing that movie and there's some fight scenes where blood splatters and stuff. And in my head, my head painted the blood red. So it was pretty cool how mm -hmm. he talked about how our heads or our minds color in the black and white images that we see. So I just, you know, just thought that was a really neat little tidbit there. Yeah, there, there's actually a couple of comics that are doing that right now. So like there's uh, Batman that it's like black and white, um, Superman, red, white and blue. And it's like basically black and white, but there's splashes of color mm. or like Wolverine. I think there's Wolverine red and it's like bloods and red, but no other colors. Like it's just that one specific color. So it's really cool because um, it's it's so strong graphically, like in photography i love things that are like a really like high contrast mm -hmm. um my eye is just like really attracted to that um of like well even like over exaggerated contrast so i love things that are in black and white or you know have that that super high contrast so um yeah i'm a big fan of that i think it'd be cool if they they start you know people start going back and like making some black and white films not necessarily like 1940s black and white but <laughs> like highly stylized you know where kind of like sin city you know, there's a lot of in a way in city yeah, and he mentioned robert rodriguez was mm -hmm. was one of his influences for like guerrilla filmmaking um, which right. is i was glad to hear because like yeah you know, me too robert rodriguez is, is i'm a big fan of his and mm -hmm. he's definitely um has that diy attitude like you want to make films start making make a film it. Yep. like mm -hmm. he used his credit card to like rack up some debt and buy a camera and just started doing it you know famously yeah. and and he still makes movies that um are like he famously can make movies that are really great on a low budget which is like kaching for studios mm -hmm. they're like let's mm -hmm. hire Robert Rodriguez <laughs> because he's not gonna ask for the most amount of money and then still put out a great product like right that's really great um he's he's working on a project I forgot that is is kind of exciting I, I want to say that he just inked a deal with HBO Max um hmm. and so I think something is coming out cool uh, for Robert Rodriguez I always kind of keep a, a, a you know an ear out for what's going on because i love all of his films i know he was doing some like online film school thing or something like that and like i think it was youtube or something where people could sign up and just you know get motivated and just to learn the art of filmmaking so yeah I, i'm a really big fan of robert rodriguez as well i mean from like planet terror to like you know um el mariachi and you know desperado and desperado oh, yeah those are fantastic films i I mean, I'll even say Spy Kids is all right, you know, but <laughs> yeah, yeah. There, there's another one that he did with kids that are like superheroes that was really good. And um, he's used, you know, he has like, I think it's, it, there's a formula that he does mm -hmm. that is interesting that he is very good with kids. Like he knows how to make them and not be like annoying and not 
you know, like roll your eyes. God, that kid's so stupid. They're doing something really dumb. Like <laughs> he still lets them be childlike, but like in a smart way, um, which mm -hmm. I always like respect um, because I hate when directors make kids like complete idiots where right. it's it just like, yeah, I know uh, what you mean. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Steven Spielberg. <laughs> All right. Um, well, I think that about wraps it up for this episode. Um, so thank you all again. Hope you enjoy this special episode and we will catch you all next week. Take care. Stay safe, everyone.